The word of Christ from the Gospel of Luke. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. He went to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. So the angel said to them, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to read it together, the opportunity to ponder it together, the opportunity to ingest it together, the opportunity to share it together. Lord, we pray that you would minister to us in these moments together. Would you minister to us by your word? Holy Spirit, would you please move among us? Would you please fix our hearts on the miracle and the mystery of Christmas? Would you please fill our hearts with the love of the Father? Would you please make us by your love and your grace, more like Jesus. Emmanuel, God with us. We pray in his name. Amen. Yes, it is the fourth Sunday of Advent, but it's also Christmas Eve. Have you wondered what happens to the fourth week of Advent? Well, it, it just sort of disappears, really. It just gives way to the Christmas season. We've been walking through the Advent season, and tomorrow morning begins the Christmas season. And so that fourth week is just gone. It just vanishes. It just gives way. The early Christians, as I mentioned, I believe, last week, they developed Advent 
as a season of preparation for the celebration that is Christmas. We have records of Christmas being mentioned explicitly by name and by date all the way back in the 3rd century A.D. And Advent was established soon thereafter. A time of preparation, a time of meditation, a time of anticipation. If you're going to feast in celebration, well, beforehand you fast in preparation. But why do we celebrate Christmas on December 25th? Isn't Christmas really just a ripoff of the winter solstice? Maybe even Saturnalia or Sol Invictus or some other pagan festival? Well, to put it bluntly, no. Neither the winter solstice nor Saturnalia ever fall on December 25th, though some suggest that in the old Roman calendars they might have. And Sol Invictus, that celebration of the unvictorious sun, it was likely reestablished as a Roman celebration connected to December 25th, well after Christmas Day was already firmly established within the worshiping life of the early church. But even if the date for Christmas had been borrowed from the pagan culture surrounding the church, what difference would it make? Didn't the Hebrew people build the tabernacle using gold they had acquired in pagan Egypt? The early church called it spoiling the Egyptians, taking the best from the surrounding pagan culture and reappropriating it into the life of the worshiping community. After all, this is our Father's world. But some might say, wasn't Jesus most likely born in spring or summer, nowhere near the bleak midwinter. Well, frankly, we just don't really know. But here's why we celebrate Christmas on December 25th. According to Jewish tradition, a prophet's death occurred on the same day of his conception. They believed adamantly that life begins at conception which, of course, is precisely what the Scriptures teach and what biology affirms. Furthermore, they believed that a prophet's life would come full circle and end on the same calendrical day that it began. Now, the Jewish calendar is a lunar calendar, and therefore the Jewish feasts move around a bit from year to year when compared to the calendars of their neighbors. But the early church did the math and found that Jesus was crucified, died, and was buried in accordance with the scriptures on March 25th of that year. Despite the fact that Good Friday moves around in our calendars, March 25th is a fixed day of celebration. A little known by most of us, Feast of the Annunciation, the day that the angel Gabriel appeared to the Virgin Mary. And so move forward nine months and you get December 25. Back to the fourth week of Advent. This year, because of the way the calendars work out, we basically lose the fourth week of Advent. And if I'm being honest here, I get frustrated by that. It's not ideal, right? You just lose a week. You lose the opportunity to focus for an entire week on lighting this fourth candle, the candle of love. 
No, it's not ideal, but you be honest too. Many of us like everything nice and neat. We like things carefully arranged, tightly ordered. Even if you're not some sort of neat freak, you likely have or you prefer your way of doing things. Your way has a particular rhythm to it, right? But then you approach a fourth week, which suddenly is truncated down to a single day, and you wonder what in the world is happening. Why is everything so messed up? We like the ideal. We like our plans. We like our organization. We like our arrangements. We like things neat and nice, tidy and organized. But then reality shows up. And sometimes reality is just a mess. It can be like trying to keep up with moving holidays on a modern calendar compared to moving holidays on an ancient calendar or multiple ancient calendars. Things quickly get kind of smashed together and then become quite a big mess. But the real world, the real world of real time and real space, of real people, which is to say our world, that's precisely the world that the eternal Son of God entered. The world of messy marriages and busted up betrothals. The world of radically altered plans because of radically unexpected changes. The world of things like taxes, registrations, censuses. It's funny the details that are included in the nativity story of scriptures. They're describing not some world out there in the stratosphere somewhere, but this world, this world just as it is. The world of traveling plans, the world of detours, the world of no vacancies when you need a place to stay. A world filled with disappointments, tragedies, hurts, and insecurities. In 1963, or 1863, I was a century off there, Henry Wadsworth, see, things don't always go as you plan. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow wrote the poem, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. And think of that day, 1863, what was happening then? A lot of mess, a lot of trouble, a lot of disappointment, a lot of tragedy, a lot of brokenness. He wrote it in the depths of the Civil War. But not only that, he wrote it in the depths of his own despair and his own tragedy and his own loss and his own hurts and his own disappointments. Because just two years prior, his wife of 18 years had been tragically killed in an accidental fire. And just a few months before Christmas Day in 19 or 18, again, not always as you plan, in 1863, just a few months prior, his son left unannounced to join the war and only sent a letter to his father after leaving. In Longfellow's poem, you can hear the pain and the anguish 
you can hear the disappointment and almost despair in those beautiful words he penned. As the refrain echoes the proclamation of the angels to the shepherds, it reminds us that it's precisely a painful and a pain-filled and a hurting and a hurt world that needs the good news of our Savior's birth. He writes, I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and mild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And thought how, as the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Till ringing, singing on its way, the world revolved from night to day. A voice, a chime, a chant sublime of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then from each black, accursed mouth, the cannon thundered in the south. And with the sound, the carols drowned of peace on earth, goodwill to men. It was as if an earthquake rent. The, heart, the hearthstones of continent and made forlorn the households born of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep, God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail with peace on earth. Goodwill to men. The incarnate Son of God brought the riches of heaven into the one thing that heaven lacks and earth has an ample supply. Our needs, our wants, our poverty, our sickness, our death, our pain, our sorrow, and more. He brought the splendor of heaven to the depths of who we are, filled with needs of every sort. God is not dead, nor doth He sleep. Indeed. But in the incarnation, the eternal Son of God who cannot die by definition, becomes a man in order to die. And in the incarnation, the eternal Son of God, who needs no sleep, becomes a baby and must therefore sleep upon His mother Mary's lap. The incarnation turned reality on its head. Christmas changes everything. The shepherds were told, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And they were promised, This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And how did they respond? Let's go and see. Now, make haste. Then having gone and seen, 
They proclaimed and praised God. And the people with whom they shared the good news, they wondered, the text tells us. Joseph, he just did whatever he needed to do in trusting obedience to God the Father. All throughout the Nativity text, we see him just doing the next thing as well as he could. Simple, rugged obedience. And Mary, the text tells us that she treasured everything in her heart and contemplated in her mind all that was happening as it happened so fast and so suddenly. But the Christ child, for our sakes, the eternal Son of God made Himself small. You think back to March 25, in the middle of whatever we've got going on, not preparing for the holidays, not even thinking of the holidays, the eternal Son of God who cannot die but will, who must not sleep but must. He became a zygote. He made himself small. He made himself humble. His welcome party would be a bunch of shepherds living out under the stars. He made himself tangible. He made himself accessible. As we so quickly and so abruptly move from Advent into Christmas. I want to urge you, over these next few days, respond with wonder. Respond in obedient trust. Respond also as the shepherds did, having seen, having gone, by sharing the good news. I... um. Probably like you, I love A Christmas Carol by Dickens. I, um, I love the story, not just the book, but the story itself and all the different renditions of it in you know, media. Um, I, I really do. One of the things that I love most is like the shock of his reaction when he wakes up on Christmas morning, throws open the window and calls out, what day is it? Christmas Day, sir. And how everyone is just stunned by him. They're startled. His response is disruptive to their lives. Can you imagine the shepherds going back into the towns? We've seen a little bitty baby born. Big deal. Babies are born all the time. No, but an angel told us about this baby. We weren't looking for this baby until we were. And this baby is the Son of God. He's bringing peace on earth and goodwill to men. Respond by sharing the good news. God is not dead, nor doth He sleep. But in Christ, He'll do both. He will die. 
he will sleep. He'll do both to put the broken world back together. He'll do both to give reason for the weary world to rejoice. Respond well to the one who is in our midst. Respond well. He comes to us in the depths of our need, in the depths of this world's brokenness. That is precisely where He comes. Father, we thank You for knowing our need, for caring about our need, for responding to our need. And Lord, we pray that You would help us in our need, in the depths of our need, to respond to what You have done for us, truly, in a sense, even to us, in Your Son, Jesus. As we move so hastily from this Advent season into the Christmas season, we pray that You would fill our hearts and our minds with wonder and joy. Would You fill our hearts with Your love? Would You make us to obediently trust You? Lord, would You bring along our paths, we're sure You will in the coming days, those with whom we can declare the good news. Lord, we pray that You would help us in these moments, in these days, to not miss Your Son, Jesus. For in missing Him, we miss everything. We pray in His name. Amen.